Hey everyone, welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. get into some Q&A before we uh, head on out for the night. Um, Dan, we've got some awesome questions here uh, for you tonight. So first one at the top of the, uh, top of the um, slide eh, is, is it okay to sacrifice your values if the outcome is important? I'm thinking about consequentialism or utilitarian, utilitarianism. I don't know how to say that properly. That's a really interesting question. And honestly, I've, I've been sitting here for the last couple of minutes kind of ticking it over in my brain. Um, there's a lot actually packed into the question when you think about it. So um, we need to think a little bit about what, what, what do you mean by values there? Um, and, and what do you mean by like if the outcome is important? So what, what you might find, and this is one of the weaknesses of, of a purely values-based way of thinking, is that values can come into conflict. So I might have a value, like, so when I say the outcome is important, I'm expressing a value there, aren't I? I'm saying that this particular kind of outcome matches with a value that I have. Um, So maybe my value is, uh, you know, the the thing that I'm trying to work out is how to share out this piece of pie. Um, And one of my values is that um, people are treated equally and respectfully. Um, But another one of my values is that uh, people who, uh, have been deprived in the past, uh, you know, they get it made up to them now. So one of my values tells me maybe that some people should get bigger pieces of pie and my, one of my other values tells me they should all get the same piece of pie. What am I supposed to do? Um, and that's a really kind of dumb example that I made up on the, on the yeah, spot. I feel but like you can, pie now. <laughs> <laughs> you can find lots of cases where, where values come into conflict with each other. And that means that we need some way of organising our values into hierarchies. Um, and that's one of the things that kind of results-based thinking does for us, actually, is, is kind of say that I'm going to, if, if I mean, given a particular situation where values come into conflict, I'm going to pick the value that does this other kind of thing for me, maximises this other kind yeah. of result. So, so, yeah, I can think of plenty of examples where the kind of thing that you're describing here um, is the sort of thing that we would do. Um, and, and to be honest, I can find plenty of examples of people doing it in the Bible. Um, so, for example, the Apostle Paul finds himself lots of times in situations where he's trying to work out how do I share the gospel in the most effective kind of way. Um, and, and as he does that, what he, as he wrestles with it, he's kind of wrestling with different values. Like I might have this value here that, um, that the most number of different kind of nations get to hear the gospel, or it might be that the largest number of individuals get to hear the gospel. So should I go on this long trip throughout Europe or should I go to this big city over here? Mm. Um, and you can kind of see thinking like that in the book of Acts where he's trying to, where he's wrestling with those kinds of things. So, um, so the kind of question is the sort of thing that Christians might wrestle with. And they're, what I'm kind of a little bit reluctant to kind of say is that you want to give up your values there because that sounds a little bit like you're being kind of ethically weak. Um, 
what I, the way I would reframe it is saying that one of the things that wisdom involves is knowing which value in your hierarchy applies at a particular moment. Um, uh, so Jesus, here's a, here's a great example. Jesus um, has the um, possibility of healing lots of people, but he says to his disciples in the, the early chapters of Mark, Mark chapter 3, I think it is, mm. um, we're going to leave this place and go on to another place so that I can preach the gospel, right? So for Jesus, preaching the gospel has a higher value than healing sick people. Does that mean that Jesus is compromising on his value of healing sick people? No. I wouldn't put it that way, right? Like, um, But he's not following through on that value in that moment because he's got a higher value yeah. based on his, this kind of um, ethical structure that he's working with. Yeah, okay. One of the reasons for kind of having in your view of the world all those different things, God's commands and creation and future and God's character, is that it helps you with your values to kind of work out which one applies in a given moment. Um, so you kind of see what I'm getting at there. Um, Absolutely. So no, don't just become purely a consequentialist. That's equally kind of dumb. But also don't think that just having a set of values means that you have to satisfy all of them all the time. Yeah. Values are the kinds of things that sometimes apply more or less of and that there'll be higher level values and lower level values. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Thanks, Dan. Um, so the next question, does the parable of the prodigal son not suggest that we should restore those who wrong us to their previous relationship with us? It's a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Um, yeah, the parable of the prodigal son's a, a beautiful one, isn't it? And um, one of the things that you see there is a, is a kind of act of unconditional forgiveness. The father starts running down the road towards the son before he's got any idea what the son's going to do when he shows up. Like the son might be coming back to ask for more money. Like, <laughs> but the, the father's already off on down the road kind of with his arms open because he's ready to forgive. Um, does that take you all the way to saying that you should restore us, like restore someone to the same relationship? It definitely says to us that God will treat the person who comes back to him as an honoured son. Um, what, what actually happens in the parable of the prodigal son is that the son who comes back is actually treated, I would say, with even more honour than he deserves. Right? He's not just restored to the same relationship. Yeah. He's actually given more. Mm. He's given this special feast and he's kind of dressed in a robe and all these kinds of things. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so God's grace, graciousness isn't just kind of limited to giving us back to what we were before. He actually often gives us more than we deserve. Um, but it certainly says to us in this kind of context that God is um, interested in restoring the relationship to what it should be. Mm. Um, there's, there are things to think about for us as kind of humans wanting to emulate God, but also living in a fallen world before the new creation where we might not be able to do that. So I think there are cases in which um, being open to forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean putting them back in exactly the same place that they were before. Um, yeah. And one of the really serious examples where we think about this is where someone has committed, for example, child sexual abuse um, in the church. Um, as part of forgiving that person, and I do think that Christians should forgive people like that, um, and that will mean bringing them back into our Christian communities and showing them grace, but it doesn't mean necessarily putting them in charge of the the kid, the Sunday school at church, mm. if that's what they were doing before. Because um, we, we live in a fallen world where we still yeah. have to recognise the grip of sin on each other's lives, and what forgiveness means there is showing real grace, really seeking a restored relationship, but also we have to wait until the final consummation of all things in the new creation before all of that is fixed up finally, I think. 
Yeah. No, that's, that's a messy one though, and I'm still wrestling with it. So. No, absolutely. No, that's that's some really really good thoughts. I like it. Um, are all of God's Old Testament commands still relevant for today? Um, can I not wear clothes made with different fibers, etc.? If not, how do I know which ones are to still obey? Okay, so you've given me three questions there in, in <laughs> one. Uh, the answer is the answer to the first one is yes. The answer to the second one is no. I think <laughs> the answer to the third one is. Uh, See above um, everything I said before. No, so let me tell you in a, in a bit more detail. Are all of God's Old Testament commands still relevant today? Yes, absolutely. But probably what you're suggesting there is the idea that we have to live according to all the laws that were given in the Old Testament. Um, Christians disagree about this, so I'll just give you my take on it, but you can listen to other people's takes on it as well. Um, I would say no, Christians do not live by the Old Testament commands today. I think Jesus' teaching on this is really clear um, in the Sermon on the Mount when he when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, what he's doing is he's taking those Old Testament commands and he's reinterpreting them. He's giving us new kind of versions of them. Um, when he talks about the food laws in Mark chapter 7, he, he actually says, it, Mark says, by saying this, Jesus declared all these unclean foods clean. So he's changed the Old Testament law. Um, the, the Apostle Paul does the same thing, I think, at a number of points in his letters where he kind of says, we do not live under the Old Testament law anymore. We now live by the Spirit. Um, so... I want to say they're relevant, but they're not relevant by saying that they are laws that we live by as the Old Testament people of God did. Hmm. They're relevant to us because they help us to understand the character of God and what God was doing for us in Jesus. Hmm. We now live under the law of Christ, is what Paul says, um, which is the law that the Old Testament law was pointing to and was working like a, a tutor towards but now we've come into the fullness of things and we now live under the law of Jesus, which is what it's actually set out for us in the Gospels and the New Testament. Um, so that, does that, what does that mean about your clothing? Um, it means that I think that the Old Testament law about not being able to wear garments out, woven out of two different kinds of fibre doesn't apply to Christians. Um, the reason that it was there in the Old Testament was to, um, to talk a little bit about the nature of sin and the nature of purity in God's people. But now we understand that through Jesus, and so the clothing part of it doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, so that's kind of, and how do you know what the law is that we live under, the ethics that we live under? Well, that's what I was saying before. It's by f focusing on God's character, His commands, um, the creation that He's given us, the future that He's taking to us towards, and how all of those things are interpreted and held together in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to really understand this, you need to kind of do what we call biblical theology, which is tracing the, the action and the revelation of God throughout the whole Bible as it's centred in Jesus. Absolutely. Can I, I'll ask a little like bit on top of that. So that you've you brought up that you still kind of look at how God created. Like you look at creation, it doesn't mean that like you kind of go to Old Testament and like, oh yeah, we don't have to follow those laws necessarily. Um, doesn't kind of flow on to that we don't look to anything in the Old Testament, right? Not at all, no. Yeah, so thanks for really emphasising that. That's not what I'm saying at all. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount will also say that not a, a jot or a tittle, like the smallest dot will not pass away from the law, right? Um, he hasn't come to abolish the law but to fulfil it. And that's a really important phrase, right? So the Christians do not relate to the law as something that's been abolished, but neither do they relate to the law as something that has not been fulfilled. Um, and so both of those parts you have to take seriously. Hmm. So I can't just relate to the Old Testament as though Jesus hasn't come. Um, Jesus has not given me that option. He's, he's come and fulfilled it. So if I relate to the Old Testament, I have to relate to it through Jesus and the way hmm. that he's interpreted me. 
Um, but at the same time, I can't just ignore the Old Testament. God, Jesus hasn't abolished it. Um, he's fulfilled it. So um, if I'm going to understand Jesus and who he is, I'm going to do that by understanding the Old Testament law and how it helps us to understand Jesus. Yeah, no, that's good. Thanks, Dan. Maybe we've got time for a couple more. Is the parable of the shepherd leaving his 99 sheep to chase the one a results-based view? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, the New Testament has lots of results-based ways of thinking in it. Um, so all of these different kinds of ways of thinking about ethics um, like rights is in the New Testament. Um, Paul can say, do, not, do I not have the right to take a believing wife with me as he's travelling around as an apostle? So he uses rights language. Yeah, um, yeah the, the 99 and the 1 is an example of consequentialist thinking and there's lots of examples. Jesus gives lots of examples of this. Yeah. Um, there's lots of examples of kind of virtue and values type thinking. Like I, I act like you should cultivate this kind of virtue in you um, so that you, you can kind of act like this. So the New Testament has all of them. What it doesn't do is just only pick one and as though it's the only answer. It, yeah. What it does holds them all together mm. in a pattern around Jesus. So that's an example of, of results-based thinking, but it's not the only way that the New Testament thinks. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. Um, another question. Often we can say statements like, that's not right. If this is just based off a feeling and is not necessarily in the Bible, should we trust these feelings? That's a really great question. As I was scanning them down, that was the one that I was um, most looking forward to. Um, I think feelings are something that are, re are really important. And, and one of the dangers for Christians, particularly for kind of my tribe of Christians, I, I'm like from an Anglican kind of Calvinist kind of background. So like we're super anti-feelings, right? Um, <laughs> um, and I think, <laughs> I think that's really dangerous. Um, the way that feelings work, God has created feelings in us with a reason. Um, feelings are like little... Um, like warning lights that go off to alert you to moral realities in the world. Mm. So if I'm feeling angry about something, that's a little warning light that's blinking that should make me go and look around at what's going on in the world around me and go, oh, is there something unjust here? Has someone been treated in a way that's unfair or has there been an injury that's done that I should pay attention to? Or if I'm feeling sad, there's a little blinking warning light that's going off that tells me there's something in the world that's probably not the way that it should. Yeah. Now, the problem is if we just go off the kind of blinking warning lights and think that that's all the basis of morality, we've not thought enough. But the, the whole point of a little blinking light is to point you to some objective reality out there and make you go and investigate it. So the sign is meant to point you to the reality. Yeah. Um, it's a signpost. So don't just get stuck on the signpost. The other problem is that in a fallen world, sometimes the lights go off when they're shooting, right? Um, <laughs> so, and this is what kind of what you're getting at in the question here. Sometimes we feel things that when we go and investigate them further, we discover actually aren't real. Like, um, I get really angry because I feel like someone has treated me in this disrespectful way. But when I actually go and ask them a question about what they were doing, I realised that what they were doing was not disrespectful at all. I just completely misinterpreted the context. Yeah. And so my feeling of anger was just inappropriate. Um, the, what's interesting in that situation is that the feeling of anger wasn't necessarily unhelpful if it made me go and investigate further and ask some questions and get to understanding. If, though, I just went away with that feeling of anger and started to kind of stew and never talk to that person again, mm. then I haven't done what anger should have made me do, which was to go and investigate further. Yeah. So if you think of feelings as prompts to go and investigate morality, then you're using them well. If you think of feelings as reasons to act independent of anything else going on in the world, then you're in all sorts of trouble. Mm, I like that. That was good. Um, conscious of time, 
Dan, I wanted to uh, say thank you so much for coming on the um, on the podcast and answering some of our questions as well. But I wanted to plug LMI uh, for a little bit. So I wondered if you could uh, tell us a little bit about it again, but um, also like if anyone's in wanting interested in getting involved or how we might be able to support it. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you for that opportunity. So LMI stands for the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. Um, we've been around for about 10 years, initially um, started as an internship program with the Australian Christian Lobby, but for about the last decade, we've been our own organisation. Um, the core thing that we do, as I said right at the top, was is run three-month residential fellowship programs. So we take groups of between eight and 10 people um, away to our, our, um, our homestead in Murrum Bateman. Um, and then we fly in um, really like the top lecturers and thinkers around the country um, to give seminars on a whole bunch of different topics related to politics and cultural leadership. Hmm. So the basic shape of the course is the first two weeks we do some theology and think about the underpinnings for how we think about politics and culture. Um, then we do some intellectual history. We think about the big ideas that have shaped our culture. Uh, and then we do a whole bunch of applied um, seminars and skills stuff. So we think about constitutional law and economics. We do bioethics on abortion and euthanasia. Um, we do media training, so how to speak to a camera. We do <laughs> op-ed writing, so how to write for a newspaper. Negotiation training. Um, we do a scenario game where you have to kind of act out and like uh, it goes for a couple of days. It's kind of like a UN politics scenario, so you get to practice some of these skills. Oh, yeah. Go and work for a week um, in an office of a politician in the federal parliament as a staffer. Uh, and we bring in some um, business strategy consultants to help you to think about leadership and strategic um, thinking and personal effectiveness. Yep. Um, and then along the way, we have um, formal dinners where we bring in parliamentarians and, and leaders and you can quiz them about their lives. Um, uh, we, uh, yeah, do all, sort, we you know, do all sorts of yeah, amazing awesome. things, part of living together in community. So it's a really incredible program. I'm really proud of, proud of it. Um, mm. And uh, it's, I think, a real part of the way that God is helping to raise up uh, generations of people who are able to engage well with our culture, particularly at the moment when it can be quite difficult. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're particularly looking for people uh, kind of from your mid-20s through to your mid-30s, um, but we take people kind of on the out, um, you know, who are older than that right through to kind of 40s and 50s. We take people who are in their final couple of years of uni sometimes. Um, we run two programs. One goes across the summer between November and um, February. Yep. The other one goes from March to the end of June. So we've got a summer one coming up. That one's already full. Um, but if you're interested, you can apply for our one that's um, starting up in in March. Yeah, um, and we keep doing it every year. So you can um, find out more, apply for stuff down the track. The other thing that you might be interested in is a shorter version um, of kind of LMI. We're running a three-day conference in October. Um, it's running from the 17th to the 19th of October, um, where we cover the same kind of stuff, but um, obviously in a much shorter format. So we're, we're thinking a little bit about how to analyze the culture, how to do discipleship within that culture, how to live as a Christian, um, what kind of social vision do Christians have for our society, and also just how do we share the gospel as mm. leaders in the context that we're in. That's called Categoria. Um, like I say, coming up in October, 17th to 19th, you can find out information about all of those things on our website, lmi.org.au. There you go, there's the pitch. There we go. That was awesome. Thanks, Dan. Um, well, why don't we give him a hand, hey? <laughs> Thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome talking with you. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, 
God bless, and I hope you have an awesome rest of your night, and hopefully your lights don't go out randomly again. And, um, <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll have another chat down the, down the road. <laughs> I'd love that. It's been a great pleasure, and, uh, yeah, God bless to you guys as well.